take your Bibles and we're going to talk about um, Jesus will come again. I just wanted to let you know he is coming. I didn't want you to think he's not coming because he is. Now I know it's been a while since he was here and I, you have to always remember that God doesn't have any calendar nor does he have a wristwatch. God operates in his own time. Um, it's what the Bible calls due time. When you read in the Bible and see due time, that means God's in charge of that time. Amen? So when we think of how long it's been, we keep track of, of years and decades and centuries and all that. Um, God's not even in, interested in a whole lot of that. He knows what he's doing. He knows when it's going to happen. But in 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, we want to read about the fact that the church at Thessalonica had an issue with the second coming of Christ. But we want you to know it is a reality. It is going to happen. And we're going to talk to tell you about it a little bit and try to clear up some of the things that are um, surrounding that particular event. So while you turn to 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter... We'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you again for the word of God that leads and guides us into all truth. We know, Father, that whatever you say is what it is. It's not a negotiable. Your word is forever settled in heaven. And Lord, we pray that it'll ever be settled in our hearts. And even if we think it's not what it should be, that Lord, you have your way to show us what it really will be. So guide us, we pray, as we study this morning, look into your word, and then know it's nothing new because all of us know he's coming again. The matter of fact is we just don't know when, and we're, it's one of the subjects that everybody seems to want to know more information about, and we want to try to clear up some of the false information surrounding it so that we can be ready when it does come. So bless this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to read the first two verses here in 2 Thessalonians. And I, before I read it, I want you to know that um, in 1 Thessalonians, when Paul wrote the letter to those folks, um, they had an issue in 1 Thessalonians about the second coming of Christ. They evidently, um, they doesn't name them out or doesn't point them out or doesn't call them uh, by name of any sort or fashion or of any kind, but they must have had some issues with the second coming of Christ. Now there are people today that teach a lot of things about the second coming of Christ. And when they teach it, I kind of cringe because um, I know I don't know everything, but I have studied the scriptures a whole lot. And some of the things they want to promote, I don't find in the scriptures. And, and it's probably my fault because I'm probably not smart enough to figure it out. But in reality, there are some things that I think just are taught that really aren't supposed to be taught. But here we find Paul trying to help these people in Thessalonica because if you get a false opinion of the second coming of Christ, it can affect a lot of what you do in your life. You'd say, well, that ain't got nothing to do with it because it hadn't come yet. Well... If you think on it wrong, it can affect the way you walk daily. But let me read verses 1 and 2 in 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us as the day of the Lord 
is at hand. It's coming. Amen? The one thing Jesus said, and you can go back and read the Gospels, even Jesus was telling the disciples, yes, I'm going to leave, I'm going to die, and I'm going to resurrect in three days. They didn't even buy that story. He told them over and over again that he was going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to beat me up and smack me around and hang me on a cross. Ah, that ain't going to happen. It did. And then he said, when he left, he said, don't worry, I'll be back. I'm coming again. And of course, we can study from the New Testament and find that there's even some things attached to that second coming that would be important for us to understand and know about. So here we find that when Paul was inspired to write this letter to the Thessalonians, uh, that many Bible scholars and theologians have written this issue in the church that Jesus has already come. That's what he said there, uh, that you uh, soon not be shaken in, in uh, mind or troubled. Why? Because some of the people in that church was already saying, Jesus isn't coming again. You know what? It's been 20 years since he left. and He hadn't come back yet. Because this was written about 20 years after Christ did ascend back to heaven. So they thought his coming as a lifetime and walking with them throughout uh, Israel or Judea or Galilee or wherever they wanted to say he was, that that was his coming. And they really didn't put any stock in a second coming. Or some of them even believed, well, he died once. And he came out. And after he did, what did he do? He walked around talked to the disciples, did miracles. There was a lot of things he did after he came out of the tomb. So they may have thought that was his second coming. No, that's not his second coming because his first one hadn't ended yet at that point by him going back to heaven. But there's so much around um, eternity that we don't know because, um, frankly, I believe Jesus wasn't in the mood, if you would, to teach us because we ain't capable of comprehending it. We're just humans. We just got a little brain between our ears and it bounces around some neutrons in there every once in a while and we think we've got everything figured out but that's not really what's going on because here in our text Paul is assuring that church that Jesus' second coming has not yet happened. Amen? And as of yet, it still hasn't happened. So he gives a few reasons why that type of thinking does not line up with what the, what the world is experiencing in our everyday life. First of all, no one knows when Jesus is coming back the second time. Actually, in Matthew 24 and 36, Jesus is quoting saying, nobody knows. Amen? Jesus said that only the Father knows the day nor the hour. Amen? I really expect the fact that, uh, that nobody knows that and nobody can really understand it, but we can know that there was a beginning and there's going to be an end. Amen? What do you think it's going to be like after Jesus comes back? Well, we all would uh, surmise or speculate or whatever you want to say about it, but I, well, I'll give you my opinion. How would you like that? Would you like a good opinion this morning? 
What was the world like before Genesis 1-1? Hmm. Anybody know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. There was a world, or there was a God, before Genesis 1 and 1. For he created this uh, dirt ball we call earth and put all the things on it that's multiplied and grown and become what we see today. Um, that took about 6,000 years for us to mess it all up. Amen. But I think along with that, uh, at the end, um, this old earth, the scripture says, is going to be burned up. It's going to be gone. It's not going to be what you think. You, you know, in my mind, do I say it's going to be? It's going to be just like it was before Genesis 1-1. Huh. Still going to be God. Still going to be eternity. Still going to be things happening. Now, if God chooses at that point to blow this place up or burn it up or throw it away or step on it like a... Uh, uh, styrofoam cup that you had your coffee in this morning and get rid of it or whatever he chooses to do he wants to make another one right on God have your way he can do what he wants amen think about it God didn't need man's input to start earth in the first place amen and God doesn't need man's input to know when to stop it I've been asked many times about what is going to take place uh, once Jesus comes back. I guess because I have studied scriptures for several decades, I've preached on it many a times, I've been called to be a pastor, uh, some think that I know more than anyone else. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. But please, 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 everyone has access to the two witnesses, God's Word and God's Spirit. You know, and as much as I've studied, as much as I've tried to learn it, that doesn't mean God can't show you something that I can't comprehend because my brain only is about this wide and God's world is huge. So how am I supposed to get it all in there? I don't know. But don't think because I'm a pastor or, and that I'm trying to throw my opinion out there and you have to believe it the same way I do. No, no, no. Um, we talked about it last week. I'm supposed to give you information and not make you conform to what I'm thinking or what I believe. But those two witnesses, the Word and the Spirit, are for anybody that wants to know. And you can pray. You can ask God. And say, God, show me what I need to know about what's going on in the future. Now, I can tell you, too many of us are going to be, if we knew the future, would become worry warts. You'd be worried about it if you knew some of the things that were supposed to take place. That's just human nature. It's just that way. Even the Bible talks about it. Fret not. That means don't worry about it. You know, I thought I preached it several times. About 95% of the things that people worry about, about their future, never happen anyway. Or at least not the way they thought it was going to happen. So they wasted all that worry power on something that didn't even amount to nothing. So uh, you have access to them and anyone can know the truth that wants to apply themselves to study the Word of God. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the teachers. So to put one's man opinion above another man's opinion does not change God's truth. The truth of God is solid, 
firm and does not change. Some of us don't understand it. Some of us look at it wrong. Some of us try to change it. It does not change. Amen? And I'm of the opinion that when it's all said and done, that it will basically go back to what it was before Genesis 1-1. Amen? We'll be there. Amen? Do you know there was angels before that? Oh, you did? Huh? Well... We're just a little lower than the angels, so there'll be room for us. And I base that on what the Bible says about what's going to happen when the second coming does happen. Amen? Now, it, the Bible goes into some details about Jesus coming. A lot of people think Jesus is going to walk on the earth again. No, the Bible says he's just coming back in the clouds. That's as close as he's going to get. And then we'll all be called up. Amen? And then what's, what's left behind is going to be burnt up. That's scriptural. We can get into that, but that's for another uh, session. But here, I just want you to know that after the second coming, uh, the Bible calls for the dividing of the sheep and the goats. Can you tell the difference between a sheep and a goat? Eh, they're, they're a little bit similar, but I can guarantee you, little kids, before very long, can tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. Well, in the spiritual realm, God can tell the difference between sheep and goats also. And when he does that, he divides the sheep from the goats. And I believe in heaven and hell. And once we are in either place, there's no transfers. When you get into the heaven or you get into hell, you're there to stay for eternity. Amen? There's no one going to change their mind later on. And my advice is to do your best to follow the will of God and be ready to do as it says in, excuse me, I got to sneeze. Missed a good one. Ah, ah. Anyway, we need to be ready and be what it says about the five wise virgins in Matthew the 25th chapter. You can read Matthew 25, 1 through 13. It's the parable of the five wise and the five foolish. And Jesus taught that. One of the last parables he taught uh, to his disciples, knowing that uh, there was coming a dividing between them, and it all takes place after the second coming of Christ. But if you read in verse 13 of that particular portion of Scripture, it says, Watch, therefore. What's therefore mean? Well, he just told the parable, and he's wrapping it up. That's, that's kind of neat. I always like to read the last line of a parable twice. Because usually, about 90, well, by 90%, almost always, the last line of the parable explains why he told the parable in the first place. And that's what therefore means. Based on what I just said. Because ye know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Amen. I also believe that we don't know when it is coming, but when it comes, everybody's going to know it. Nobody's going to say, I wonder what's going on. wonder what happened. It'll be here, done, gone, forgot about, and moved on faster than you can sit down and take up a pencil and paper and write down. I wonder what this is. It's going to be that quick. And Matthew 24 and 44 says, Therefore... Be ye also ready. 
For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Amen. Now, I've got to tell you something. Most of us, huh, let's just average it out. How many of you sleep over seven hours a day? Eight hours a day. Yeah, we sleep about that much. So basically a third of the world is asleep as this ball of dirt spins round and round. So you pick any hour of the day, somewhere in the world, there are people sleeping that have been asleep for a while and are going to be asleep for a while. So when Jesus comes, he's not going to come on Eastern Daylight Time here and Central Time and Mountain Time and Pacific. He's coming once. So who knows where we're going to be? You might be at work and hallelujah, you won't have to finish that day out. Amen. You get off early. Amen. Or you might be asleep. Amen. You might be eating lunch, just finished, and he may come before the check comes. Wouldn't that be great? Amen. Another free meal. Well, God's good to us. We understand that. So we just need to know that the main thing that Christ was telling his disciples, he said it over and over again, be ready. Be ready. Amen. So keep these thoughts in context of the scripture, knowing there is uh, that what we do know and what we don't know, and we do know enough to guide us to the day and the time, and what we need to just know about it all is we've got to be ready. Because when it happens, just like the five foolish versions in that same parable, Matthew 25, there'll be no time to get ready. If you're not ready, you won't have time to get ready. Amen? That's what Jesus said. Um, if you will, there'll be no second chances. Nothing can be done to delay his coming even when you see that it is time for his coming. Because when God says it's time, it's time. Amen. You're either ready or not. Period. Amen. Now, if I can figure that much out, Paul, I believe, was probably a whole lot smarter than me. And he was able to write to the Thessalonians in uh, this particular chapter that we read. And of course, he wrote about it in 1 Thessalonians as well. But he went into greater detail because the first letter he wrote, the people there seemingly didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it, it um, as we try to make sense of what they were thinking. But here we're, uh, we're talking about Jesus uh, has already come in the letter is the way Paul's writing it to them. He says, you got it wrong if that's what you think. He hasn't come already. But that's what it seems like a lot of the people in Thessalonica had thought. Are we thinking straight? Uh, they did not understand the truth about Jesus' second coming is the reason Paul wrote these particular uh, verses and letters to them to help them understand that. If you drop down in verse 3, we didn't read it, and I'm going to read through this, and I'll probably get down uh, quite a ways through this chapter and just letting you know why Paul thought, thought it was important to write to him. Verse 3 says, Let no man deceive you. Have you ever been deceived? Ever been lied to? How'd you feel about it when you found out, aha, he was lying? And he did it on purpose. Amen? Well, 
I think he says, when no man, let no man deceive you by any means. That includes preachers and teachers and people that write books and people that draw charts and draw graphs and put pictures out there. Any other opinion supporting the technique that they think Jesus is coming back on. No matter how big his following is or how dedicated some of those followers are, we've had examples of those. Amen. How many of you heard of the name Jim Jones? How about the Waco group called the Branch Davidians? Amen. They all promoted that. And of course, history has proven that they were wrong in their prediction of the second coming of Christ. Amen. But they didn't change God's plan at all. They only messed up their own selves in trying to promote what they thought God should have said rather than what God really said. So then Paul writes about the fact that there shall come a falling away first. What does he mean by a falling away first? And he says it seems like the man of sin is taking people of every generation to a new all-time low every day in morality. All right? I don't know how old you all are, but you can think back when you was in school, everybody except Joel. The rest of us can think back when we were in school and what they allowed and what they don't allow. And then look at the news today and see what they're allowing and not allowing in school today. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, I'm an old geezer. And I got in trouble in school for chewing gum. Matter of fact, I met the Board of Education over chewing gum. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of a funny kind of guy going. I always have been enjoyed. And I got SWATs. You know what SWATs are, don't you? Oh, okay. That, that's old school stuff. I got them for laughing. Now, you have to understand. You have to understand the context, what I was laughing about. But... We won't go there today, but nonetheless, they introduced me to discipline. Where is discipline in the schools today? Amen? Huh. Well, things have a way of changing in morality. Things that many of us thought we would never see around us happen all around us on a regular basis. Amen? You ever see somebody say, man, never seen anything like that before. But now, it's regular. Amen. It just happens. Sin seems to be coming bolder and bolder day by day. Things the Bible are clear about as being an abomination to God are openly practiced all around us. Amen. Things God openly sent judgment on in the scriptures are thought of as normal behavior anymore and even promoted as your right to express yourself. Hmm. Well, I'm not going to take away your right to express yourself, but every time you make those choices, I do want to remind you they have consequences according to God's eternal word. 
Now, the government may not say anything to you. The police may allow you to get away with it, but God's got a record. Amen? You're going to have to stand before him and be ready no matter what you think your uh, right is to express yourself. Amen? Just let me say this, if you would. It's an expression, all right, an expression of the man of sin or what he calls the son of perdition. Y'all know who that is, don't you? Oh, that's the devil. Amen. I was shocked this week. I seen it on the TV that somebody was doing devil worship right in a, an award show. Now, I didn't watch the show, didn't know it. I just got a caption of it. Uh, they dressed in bright red and got up and danced for the devil. Uh, I don't know it, what it was, the show. I don't know. Maybe my, you may know. Grammys or yammies or something. I don't know what they were. Jammies, whoever they are, whatever they're doing. But uh, it, it's a, um, I kind of think in years gone by, had they done that, um, say, 30, 40 years ago, all the televisions would have been turned off. And their ratings, if you would, would have plummeted to nothing. Amen? Nobody wants to see that. Verse, verse number four tells us of his purpose who opposes and exalteth himself above all that's called God. The devil wants to outdo God. Amen? First of all, since he poses God, it shouldn't, he should be enough to set off alarms in our head and safeguards that we have in our conscience and our common sense not to pay any attention to those kind of things. Paul said it in the first century, A.D. 51-52, when they think this letter was written. He said, don't pay no attention to that guy when he talks like that. The devil's just huffing and puffing. He wants to blow your house down. Amen. Like the big bad wolf. Amen. Don't pay no attention to that. He's got other things on his mind, and we shouldn't fall for his tricks. And yet today, the things that we thought he'd never fall for back then commonplace today. Amen. Second, he says that he exalts himself above all that is called God. Not very humble, is he? Amen. And neither are his followers. Amen. They get bold and get in your face, so to speak, in how they think they can live their life and not pay any attention to the word of God. Amen. I just wonder sometimes when people do uh, the things that I think are absolute abominations based on the Word of God, I just wonder if they even have a copy of the Bible. And yet, there are pastors that follow those same lines of teaching and promotion, and they call themselves Christians just like you and I would call ourselves Christian. When I think of how precious the birth of a child is and how God plays a role in every birth in bringing a new life to this world. Amen? And then I hear the millions that think they know better than God and stop that natural process by signing a paper with consent. My heart and mind can't conceive the opposition they have 
towards God. And what this design or his design was for man and woman throughout history to bring children into the world and then to snuff out their life before they even have a chance to start it. Amen? Paul says they're going to sit in the temple of God. Now, when you talk about the temple of God, um, he says he's going to be in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. You know what the temple of God is? That's me and you. Your body is the temple of God is what the Bible teaches us. Amen? Spiritually, you're built. You was brought into this world for God to have a place to live. And it's in your heart and in your mind. And he does it through the Holy Spirit. Amen? And yet we've got people today that take that temple of God, if you would, and they even want to show themselves that they're more important in your mind and heart than God could ever be. Well, we know better than that. And not only that, we've seen history bear it out. The devil thinks because he has a lot of followers that do the, the things with the temple, with their temple or their body, that he's equal to God. I can make them follow me just like Christians follow God or were designed to follow God. Amen. Well, guess what? God has the last word. Amen. They're not getting away with anything. As I observe the actions of many that follow the wrong leaders and fall into the traps of the devil, I believe it's because Satan knows his time is short. Amen? Now, I realize he doesn't know when Jesus is coming again either. Amen? And I know he's smarter than a lot of us. I'm not going to include all of us. I know some of you are pretty smart. But I'll include myself in that. I think the devil's smarter than me. You know how I know? Because he knows where to punch me or trick me or try to trick me or try to get me to go the wrong way. He does it a lot. It's called temptation. And none of us are uh, uh, immune to temptation. It comes whenever he can. But Satan knows his time's about to run out. So he's got the pedal to the metal. He's running as fast as he can run, full speed ahead, to destroy the very people God has designed to serve him, to praise him, to worship him, the only true God forever and ever. Amen? Verse 7 says, For the, the mystery of iniquity... You know what the mystery of iniquity is? Paul wrote about it. He knew what it was in the A.D. 50. Amen? The mystery of iniquity. To me, it's a mystery that uh, so many would yield to the iniquity because they think they won't get caught. They think they can get away with it. And is absolutely, that mystery and iniquity is at work today just as much as it was in Paul's day. Just because the mystery of iniquity doth already work doesn't mean you and I have to take part in it. We don't have to have that as part of our life. And he says, and that wicked will be revealed. How? How's the wicked going to be revealed? Jesus is coming again. In a blink of an eye, 
everybody will know who's a goat and who's a sheep. Huh, what do you know about that? Amen, you won't have to guess anymore. Amen. Now it's going to be different, but at least you'll know. Amen. If you read verses 8 through 12, well, just let me read it real quick because that will give you kind of a quicker background. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume. As soon as I can turn the page. In the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the workings of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now here's what's going to happen. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie and that they might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So here we find that in those readings there, and if we allow the two witnesses, the Word and the Spirit, to clear our hearts about how the enemy wants to distract us, with all his ways and all his doings. It says, I'm going to list, I got six of them wrote down here, that it says, they, the workings of Satan, what are they? They're lying wonders. You know what lying wonders are? False miracles. Huh. Do you know what false miracles are? You know the devil can work miracles? But every one of them is false. Amen? All right. So the devil does that. Then he's got powers. What kind of power is that? power to make you believe he's smart when he's really not. Amen? Then he's got signs. Amen? There's all kinds of signs in this world that people are following, thinking that they're following the right way, but they're not. Then he says that with the deceivableness of unrighteousness. Now God's not interested in how unrighteous you can live. He's interested in how righteous you can live. But the devil wants to deceive you into thinking unrighteousness is just as good as righteousness. Amen? <clears throat> and he says, and they receive not. They don't receive the love of the truth. Do you love the truth? I got to tell you, I love the truth. Amen? You know why? It's solid. I can stand on it. I don't have to make up my own opinion about something when I know it's the truth. Amen? It's already settled. Amen? I don't have to look it up on Google. I don't have to look it up on Wikipedia. I don't have to check it out. If it's truth, it's solid. I can stand on it. Amen? Verses 11 and 12 tells us what God's response is to those that follow the devil. Number one, they're going to be under a strong delusion. They're going to believe a lie. You know why? John 8.44 says the devil's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer. Was from the beginning. Who wants to follow somebody like that? Amen. I don't know about you, and I've told you many times. I've got some people that I've worked for that was my boss on the job in my years gone by that I thought was absolute liars. Hmm. What kind of... Representation is that? 
I mean, if they told me it was raining, I've often said, I'd rather go outside and look first before I'd grab my umbrella. They lied so much, I didn't know when they was telling the truth. Well, the devil's the same way. Amen. Amen. And then he says they're damned. In other words, they're beyond the reach of God. Now, I don't know where that's at. I don't want to know. I want to believe there's hope for everybody until they take their last breath or until Jesus comes again. Amen? Amen. I don't care how bad they are. I don't even care how much they lied to me previously. I still think, in my mind, that God has mercy and grace and love for them and would like to see them get their life turned around. And that's one of my jobs, not only as a minister, but just being a Christian. My job is to live in a way that they can see the truth. Amen. I don't want them to be damned because I know what's going to bring that in eternity for them. And it says in verse uh, number four that they believe not the truth. Amen. I got people that argue with me when I show them in the Bible what it says right there in black and white and they still don't believe it and they want to argue. Huh. They don't believe the truth. Well, what's their hope? Amen. Then the fifth thing he says, they have pleasure in unrighteousness. Amen. They think it's funny to do things that are displeasing to God. Amen. All around us. You know, we're not supposed to steal. You know, there are people that get in, what do you say, gangs or huddles and go in and take a baseball bat in and go into a store and just start busting it up and get as much as they can carry and run out with it. And as long as the, in some cities they've got a law where if you don't sell $1,000 worth, they don't even bother with you. Did you know that? They changed the laws recently. It's petty theft if it's under $1,000. Now, if you go into the candy store, that's an awful lot of candy to steal to get to $1,000. But stealing still stealing. Amen? So we need to understand that they even do it and have pleasure in it and brag about it. Amen? Well, saints, we are, every one of us, going to stand in judgment before the sovereign, supreme God of eternity, open to the way we choose or refuse to choose the truth that God's made available to us. Amen? Because Jesus will come again. Amen? The only question to answer is, are we ready? Are we where we want to be when we meet Jesus, if you would, face to face? Amen? All right. Well, you better get ready because there will be no time to get ready later on. Amen? Now, one of the things I think is really a problem for a lot of people is when they start judging themselves or comparing themselves to others. Or compare yourself to, if even if you would, the multitudes around us. Because if you look at them and say, well, I'm better than them, is that really good enough to satisfy the God of eternity? Amen? Amen. I got to tell you, I played a lot of sports. And I used to think, man, I'm a better player than they are. Yet there'd always be somebody come along and knock me down and run right past me. My mom always said, 
If you think you're the best, don't just stick around. Somebody will come along that's better than you. Amen? So don't take any thought or any hopes in thinking, oh, I've got everything down pat. Because let me tell you, it won't remain that way very long. Amen? So don't judge yourself by others around you, by what they're doing in their life. Because those multitudes around us are going to have to answer to God the same as you and I are going to have to. But be in the few. Jesus said in this life there'd be few that find out what God has for them to do. Amen? There'll be few that find the truth. We want to be in that few. How many is few? Well, compared to the multitudes, it could be a lot of people. Amen? I was Bonnie and I, and I just made a comment to her when that earthquake hit um, in Turkey. The first number they sent out was 5,000 was killed. Well, now it's up over 25,000, the last I've heard. Amen? But it upset or destroyed the homes of over 25 million. So even if it was 25 million and only 2,500 got killed, that's a pretty small percentage. That's few. 2,500 to us would be a pretty good-sized congregation, wouldn't it? Amen. So everything, when you talk in numbers or in figures like that and use those, even the, the thought of large or small, that's all relative compared to what? Long or short, those are all relative terms. You have to know what you're comparing them to to know how long long is and how short short is. So when you get that all figured out, and when you think, well, it's been a long time since Jesus left, he should have been back by now. Well, compared to what eternity is, it's going to be a blip on the screen in God's way of planning when Jesus is to come again. We need to trust and know he's coming, and we need to be ready when he does come because there is no second chance. And if you don't believe me, ask the five virgins in Matthew 24th chapter, or 25th chapter, and they'll tell you, they went to get oil, and by the time they got it, it was too late. Amen. So be ready when he comes. Make sure that you're right with God, and don't let anybody else talk to you or talk you out of the truth about what God's Word has to say about Jesus coming back for his church and his people. Amen? All right, love you.